This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor chief at Voice of San Diego. I'm joined, as always, by Andrew Keats, our managing editor. Hello, Andy. Scott, how you doing, pal? Happy opening day. It's here. Fellow managing editor, Andrea Lopez Villafaña. Hello, Lopez. Hey, Louis. How are you? Good. How are you? I missed you guys last week, but I enjoyed listening to your banter. Good job. It's nice. It's nice that the product continued. <laughs> Without you. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up on the show this week, a special election happened on Tuesday, and it was quickly clear that David Alvarez and Georgette Gomez, who are running for assembly to replace Lorena Gonzalez, are going to have to run again and then again. We'll explain. And the city made it illegal for large trucks to drive through Barrio Logan to protect the community from pollution, but SDPD has largely not enforced the ban. Now, years later, advocates are abandoning the goal of increased enforcement. Andrea will explain why and the new approach they're taking And finally, San Diego is dying. The region has been losing population for the last three years, but there's more to it than people moving away. We've got new data to break down what's going on and what's driving this trend. That's all coming up. Stay with us. But first, I want to give a thanks to all of those who donated to support our campaign to get more membership and more money to make this all come together couple of those who mentioned the podcast, Luis Montero Adams said he supports the podcast. Thanks for your donation. Nora Taylor Jaffe, she supports quality and responsive independent journalism. And then I got a shout out to Howard Blackson III for uh, supporting Andy Keats's mustache. I don't know that I can join that, but <laughs> I don't know. It's fine. It's growing. It's kind of cool, I guess. It's pretty good. It's a good look. I was shocked at first, but it you think grew it's on a good me. look now? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's bad. Now he's <laughs> now he's got some support. Well, right now he like hers is the consensus opinion. <laughs> really? Oh yeah. Okay. Hat tip to Andy's mustache. <laughs> but also, I want to uh, step back and give a hat tip to uh, Bob Nelson, who long supported this podcast, was a regular listener. Uh, he passed away recently and got us. Uh, uh, hit us pretty hard to to hear that news. He was a port commissioner, a longtime public relations maven and lobbyist and such. But he was he was just a fan of the podcast, and he would let us know a lot uh, about the things he liked and didn't like, and and obviously supported it. Uh, that was the second death recently of somebody who was a big listener of the podcast. Jim Daw also 
known as Mr. Library in San Diego, supported all kinds of uh, library initiatives and, and other um, civic good throughout the city. It's tough to uh, see these things happen, and I think you put it well in the politics report, Andy. Uh, the guy had his finger in a lot of different um, initiatives and, and did a lot of work. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I do, one thing I'll say about the show is it's nice how many people reach out and tell me that they feel like they know us through listening to the show yeah. and that they have like a, a more personal relationship with us than just from reading our articles. And uh, I feel the same way when people tell me those sorts of things. And so then when you hear about, you know, Jim and Bob passing away, it's it, it's tough. You know, we've built a bit of a community here and I think that's part of what I like about the show. I think that's part of what other people like about the show. So... Uh, it's always sad when you lose folks. Right. Okay, so a few months ago, Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez announced that she was leaving her seat. Of course, redistricting was happening at the same time. And she ended up saying she's going to take a job with the California Labor Federation. So she'll run basically the biggest coalition of labor unions across the state and their political interests. And so that's a big deal. But replacing her is also a big deal. So two friends and allies, former city council members, former city council president Georgette Gomez, running against former city councilman David Alvarez for that seat. And they both basically got about 37, 38%. David did a little better, it looks like, in the initial results. And that means that neither of them win outright because Republican Lincoln Pickard got about 25%, 24% of the vote. So he will not make it to a runoff, but they will both do a runoff in June. And that's probably what we thought was going to happen. Yeah, we had it. Uh, that, was, that was certainly the prevailing wisdom which is not always right. So I still was eager to tune into the results to see uh, if maybe somebody would unexpectedly cross the 50% threshold, but that didn't happen. The conventional wisdom in this case was more or less on point. Yeah. So did you know this, Andrea? So now that it goes to a runoff in June, the ballot will have the runoff but then it'll have the primary for the real election for that seat, for the normal election for that seat. So they'll have to, you'll have to vote if you want them to win this race to fill the last six months of their term. <laughs> in the old district. In the old district. And then a primary for the new term. Uh-huh. So I'm sure everybody will get that, right? That sounds super confusing. Yeah, so just let me just bring... You know what I'm, uh, I would love to, to happen here? What? Is if somebody say there's no reporting to support any of this right i'm, I'm uh, speaking purely one. hypothetically is if somebody were to concede one and put all of their resources into the other now i don't know how you could like reasonably tailor your voter communications to do that but if there was some sort of way that you could game theory that like, you yeah. could, that you could essentially concede the you know the the six month term try to win the other one <laughs> and so one person just has to get like six months yeah and then yeah. they're like oh well, the real winner moves on yeah, yeah no I'd, I'd this is this is a, a stray thought so there may be some significant errors in logic ar- around that <laughs> being possible it's not possible. just about the term so let's be clear so the redistricting was happening as this vacancy opens up so mm-hmm. it means that the old district which is much different than the new district is what they're trying to represent the last six months of. And so 
let's say David Alvarez or Georgette Gomez wins that, they will represent City Heights going down through Barrio Logan and other areas of South County. But then when the new term starts and the new election starts, that's a whole different constituency. So you have to advertise to different groups. So that would that. be what, what I would want. I wonder if you could make a, a interesting a just, campaign decision to just be like, forget about. Because that's the real prize is the yeah. long term term. Yeah. But but then there's the, the runoff because if you're the incumbent. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. <laughs> Sorry, but if you win the runoff, then you would be the incumbent. Yeah. So in the runoff in November, you'd have the advantage with a, a ballot title. Well, that's why it makes sense. Because when you kind of lay it out, it's like, why even spend all this time? Yeah. Like, who cares who wins for the six period or six month period? But then that makes sense. Yeah. You want the incumbency effect. Yeah. 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 But it's also a much, I mean, again, it's a different demographic you're talking about mm -hmm. almost all south county mm -hmm. in the new district and again the other one stretches up and georgette still has to move right i gather because uh in the closing so i uh, andre and i both live in the 80th assembly district mm -hmm. so we were bombarded with uh not especially positive advertising from both campaigns. This became a pretty ugly race. <laughs> bombarded <laughs> like a mailboxes are full every day <laughs> yeah uh, but so in the last two days, I started seeing a lot of digital ads from the Alvarez campaign that were, uh, I can't remember the exact terminology, but they were emphasizing that he actually lived in the district, Oh, which uh, I, I gather was a uh, to draw contrast with Georgette, that she didn't, although it didn't actually say that, but sort of a heavy implication. Interesting. The, that he lives in the district, the new district. It, it, they didn't bother to specify. <laughs> <laughs> Fascinating. So, yeah, I, I don't think we can pull too much from the results. David, did if he did a little bit better than Georgette, obviously it'll be a different electorate in June. Uh, I think they, they showed so far only a 13% turnout. Maybe it gets up to like 20 or something when they do all the counting, but not a big turnout, probably much bigger in June. I mean, I think there's one sort of low-hanging fruit bit of punditry which is dangerous because those sorts of things can be wrong elections don't typically follow clear narratives voters are unpredictable but for the sake of conversation 20 some percent of the vote that went to republicans that went to the republican lincoln picard are now up for grabs who of those of david and georgette ran a race that would be generally more appealing to those conservative voters. I think it's not much of a leap to say that David Alvarez would seem to be closer to them. Now, voters don't behave predictably just because they were uh, that he was to her right in the course of this election doesn't mean he automatically gets all of those votes automatically. But um, there, I, I think there is one story you could tell that he's going to have an easier time winning those Republican votes um, they're going to be less likely to go to the further left candidate, Georgia Gomez, which would give him a leg up until you start dealing with the increased turnout and the voters that aren't included in these early results. And she would need to overperform with th that group of people to compensate for what we would expect him to get from the Republican voters. Yeah, I think that's that's it, right? Yeah. So does do more people turn out that are more amenable to her message 
or did he really, you know, make Does he a case? clean up with those? Yeah. So, so those points that, that stood out, he emphasized education, education quality and accountability. He emphasized um, changing things in Sacramento, yeah, change, which which is like a you know, an attack on Lorena, really. It's an attack on Lorena, and it's an attack on the Democratic Party writ large. Mm-hmm. It, you know, he's he's a Democrat, but it's a it's a signal to people who are fed up with things. Whereas uh, Georgia Gomez, I think, based on having the endorsement and the heavy involvement of Lorena Gonzalez, is less able to make the case running against the status quo of the of the uh state government Mm -hmm. were there any favorite mailers you got that stood out at the end there was the there was some pretty gnarly ones yeah there's some pretty bad ones um not like a favorite but i think the one that i remember best is like georgette is like a little they put her face on a little baby and Uh. it's like give me georgette and you know, is it like Gimme Gomez? Gimme Gomez, yeah. Eesh. It was pretty it was pretty bad, but I mean they were all pretty bad, but that was probably the worst. Yeah, we never did figure out why Ramos towing wanted to spend so much money on this mm-hmm. race. Cal Matters tried to get to the bottom of it, yeah, also they, couldn't. Yeah. So Henry Ramos, if you ever you want to call in, do a podcast interview about why you want <laughs> why you wanted Georgette Gomez to lose that race, we're happy to hear. Andre, give me some history about Barry Logan and trucks. Oh, do we have time for that? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> we It's an infinite. We could go like 10 hours if you want. Oh, okay. I, I don't know that people would listen to the full <laughs> 10 hours, but um, yeah. So it, it, I, this is interesting. The story, I've been covering it since I think I started my career. Um But so Barrio Logan, because of its uniqueness in terms of zoning, which we've talked about here on the podcast before, um, you know, you could have like these big industrial companies and also homes and and other businesses and shipyards and the port. So when you have this blend of like business and residential and schools, then you have this like huge truck traffic because obviously these businesses have products that need to be delivered or picked up. So you end up having like these huge semi trucks driving through the community or taking shortcuts through small neighborhoods. Um, and it, it, it's, it's been an issue for years for the community. People have lived with this for a really long time where, you know, it might, it might sound simple, but for those who live there, I mean, sometimes you get semi trucks just parked in their street and these are like big trucks right we're talking like big cargo trucks yeah so sometimes they're parked they're just idling and you know so so the issue of like pollution and breathing in those diesel um uh, particulates is is really damaging for people who live there on top of the pollution that they already deal with with the community being one of the most polluted in san diego yeah so we just talked about georgia gomez and david alvarez they both have been allied with if not worked for the Environmental Health Coalition, which has uh, highlighted this problem for many, many years, including just the general pollution issue in mm-hmm. Barrio Logan, public health issue. And they and they were uh, on the forefront of this discussion, right, of trying to deal with it. It's not just the trucks and their, and their pollution, but also their noise pollution, too. It's just a, it's a big truck going through a neighborhood. Yeah, it's a big truck. I mean, and not, not just noise pollution, but like, 
actual physical danger. Like I've seen these trucks trying to make really wide turns on really tiny streets. And, you know, sometimes they hit cars that are parked. And I think there was a story a couple years ago of one uh, crashing and hitting um, a couple cars and it it exploded and it was on fire. So, you know, it's a real danger to have a lot of these trucks. But the EHC, the Environmental Health Coalition, has really been at the forefront of this. And the angle they, they kind of took because the community plans update still wasn't a thing. They were still working on it, still arguing with that. You couldn't really reorganize how the community is structured, which would help this problem. Um, They took the route of really trying to get SDPD to cite these trucks and to get the city to um, ban certain residential streets from these trucks. So did they? That that was were the trucks allowed to go through those streets, and then that was changed, or they were always not allowed, and and they just wanted more enforcement. They were allowed. There were streets that were already they they had signs, so you might see them if you go through the community, like a little truck with the cross that says no truck no truck over five tons. Um, but in 2018, the city council added a couple other streets to that list and just made it really clear for SDPD that you should be citing these trucks and trucks should be using Harbor Drive to get to major freeways as opposed to like cutting through the community for shortcuts to maybe avoid traffic and get to their destination quicker. So it fixed the problem. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so because, shocked. <laughs> whoa. Because a big part of that, a big part of, you know, having a law is being able to mm-hmm. enforce it. And so um, when when they approved the ban on certain streets, uh, citations were still really low. And SDPD uh, said back then that some truck drivers were having a little trouble understanding, like, what streets they were allowed to not be. And, you know, so uh, Councilwoman Vivian Moreno Back in September of 2019, she asked SDPD to really up their enforcement and come up with a clear plan to really enforce these laws. So the idea is that you cite truck drivers so often that they'll stop going through these, you know, through these roads because they don't want to get cited. Um, so they did. They upped their enforcement a couple months after she made that request, and it went up from like 14 citations a month to 65 citations, and then 74 citations. But there was a problem. Those citations, um, the city attorney's office told me that those citations were getting thrown out in court because truck drivers were successfully arguing that, you know, the signs are confusing. So how do you expect me to see this sign? And, you know, that that I, I can't be held accountable for this because I couldn't see the sign. Um, other excuses were I made a wrong turn and I was trying to get out of this street, but by the time you saw me, I was already out of the street, but you cited me for being on that street, even though I was trying to get out. Mm. So uh, the citations were getting thrown out in court, and um, after that that big boost of Does that work? I was I was trying, like if you're speeding, you could just say like, I, I was trying to slow down, <laughs> but you caught me right <laughs> when I guess. What, what happened was my foot was headed towards the brake. Yeah. Like I was, it was on the gas initially. And I, I mean, it works. I apparently. I ran the red light, but look, I was going to go back and stop. I was, I was making a series of right turns to, to do it right okay. the second time around. They had better arguments that were working in court. Yeah. And so after that, uh, citations just really went down from like the low 20s to like, one or two and then the oh last, the cops were just like why are we even doing this? yeah and the last citation they gave out was in november of 2021 now stpd says none since then 
None since then. They just stopped. Yes. yes. So SCPD <laughs> says awesome. that they, the reason that there's not a lot of citations, right? Like actual tickets given to truck drivers is because they've, be, because they've focused on giving warnings and an educational approach. Mm-hmm. So as opposed to like citing these drivers, um, you know, they're, they're just letting them know, hey, you're not supposed to be here. Mm-hmm. People in the community still say that there's a lot of trucks and that. Yeah, I'm. A, I was sort <laughs> of. Really I was sort working. of amazed that that SCPD. <laughs> went so far as to say like, well, we've told so many people in in harsh terms that they shouldn't do it, that they stopped. There's compliance. Like, we did There's it. More we, compliance. There, there was more compliance. There's that, more like, compliance. The citations are measuring the actual amount of law breaking. And now that they're zero, can't you tell that we've that we've won? We we have we have seen the enemy and we have defeated him. Yeah. But I, residents, don't, I don't think that's true. <laughs> yeah, residents who live there and who I spoke with definitely are still seeing the same thing, if not more, on certain streets. You could almost see like a, a, a TV show where they're they're like, no, oh, the trucks are gone, and then a truck goes right behind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, so, our freelance photographer went out to, he was just walking to scope out good spots to take photos, and uh-huh. in that time, he was able to just yeah. complete the assignment because there were so many trucks. <laughs> <laughs> good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, bad. bad. Yeah. yeah. Horrible. Bad. Okay. So they, they, the, the issue starts bubbling up again. Yeah. So now at this point, EHC has always really pushed for enforcement mm-hmm. and um, has always been on top of SDPD saying, you need to be citing these trucks. You need to be citing these trucks. And so in the terms of, in, in the period of those conversations, SDPD said, well, you know, one, there are other crimes m- more pressing than this. Um, And so, you know, we might need to put officers on overtime. We might need to get more officers in the community to to do this work or or increase enforcement specifically for for this issue. Um, So EHC kind of like shifted their stance on asking for more police because of that. They said that they were getting concerns from community members saying, um, well, no, wait, we're not asking for more police in, a, in our community. Now, remember, Barrio Logan is a heavily Latino community. So um, EHC said that they were getting concerns from people and now have shifted from asking for more enforcement, which has been their stance for a really long time, um, to pursuing like physical barriers that would just prevent these trucks from even being able to get into one of these streets. So that would be like a roundabout or a speed hump or... Um, like a, a road median that literally would prevent like these giant trucks from fitting. Hmm. Which they could have done from the beginning. Like, right. you know, like you didn't, in that case, you'd never really need to pass a ban if you can no. make it just physically impossible to, to go through. But All those the, things take time. Yes. <laughs> they right. do take time and, and trucks can just go over them sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, well, cause like, uh, I, I don't, I don't know if this is at this point, like something of a, of a civic wives tale, but I had always been told that the Barrio Logan sign over in front of Mercado is uh, um, built to be low enough that you can't drive through there. Um, I've heard that too. And a lot of residents think that's true. But I mean, if you stand there, it's clearly not like trucks. Unless they have cargo of stuff built up on top. Um, But that's certainly the case. It was like made to deter them. Right. Because you would you know, maybe approaching it, you would think, oh, shoot, I'm not going to fit under it. But yeah, it doesn't have the sign underneath about how high it is. The clearance. No, yeah, it, it, they, de- I mean, they fit. They yeah. pass through there all the time. Yeah. Fascinating. So I think 
you kind of unveiled like this, there's actually a, an interesting kind of discussion that's, that's more relevant to the broader discussion mm-hmm. in some of these neighborhoods about policing, right? Yeah. And, and generational differences too, as well, that, and this is something we talked about with Con- the, or conflicting values within social justice movements, potentially, right. you know, you sort of, uh, the, the, the term of, of art, uh, is intersectionality that, that all of these social justice concerns are pushing in the same direction and complement one another. But perhaps there's an example here where pushing for an environmental justice aim of drumming out these trucks from polluting this community requires a police presence that maybe runs counter to an, a criminal justice aim. Mm-hmm. And there's certainly, I mean, I s- spoke to some residents who felt that this new approach to pursue physical barriers made sense mm-hmm. because they, one, are so frustrated with SCPD and have not noticed a difference. And to hear that they're not ticketing anymore because these tickets may be getting thrown out in court is like, well, that didn't work. Let's try. Sure. Why not? Let's try these physical barriers. Like, And to that point, SDPD's perspective here is that they've solved the problem with harshly worded letters. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> scolding, then, yes. scolding yes. finger wagging. Yeah. Well, they should just do that with everything else. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Stop murdering. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, then there's other residents, and I think there is kind of this generational um, change, and, and we've talked about that before too, um, where there's older residents in the community who are like, wait, 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 like these barriers are not going to pop up tomorrow, right? The f- they, they still need to do a study. They still need to get money for this. And, you know, maybe some people might like it. Some people might not. And so their thinking is, well, we still need police to be ticketing these trucks and still have a police presence out here because in the meantime, we're just going to have the same problem. Yeah, they, they, there was a roundabout approved in OB at Bacon and West Point Loma in 2014, and it just got finished last year. So that's the kind of thing we're talking about. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's... It could be a, five to ten years, easy, 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 and that's and that was when you just measured from when it got approved. Yeah, that that uh, it probably it was the in study. the conceptual phase. That's true. Almost yeah. ten years before that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Nothing moves fast in the world of of infrastructure. Um, I mean, I'll say though that like the idea that it was unforeseen that demanding law enforcement. Uh, you know, enforcement of this ban mm-hmm. was going to bring law enforcement into the community. Mm-hmm. That should not have been unforeseen. Mm-mm. There's there's no way to give tickets without being present in the community. And so I, I'm a little bit dubious about the idea that like, well, you know, it we're we're now realizing that this is going this has brought police, you know, d- into this uh, disproportionately Latino community and that's not something that we want. I mean, you you should have known that mm-hmm. six years ago. The, the, what what's changed has been your disposition towards whether you want police officers there, not anything about how tickets could ever be written. I yeah. mean, that's uh, you've 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 had a change of opinion. Yeah, not uh, the, the 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 outcome of having police in the community to give the tickets was probably something you baked into your understanding of what you were asking for at the time. Yeah, I mean it definitely shocked me that change you know and caught them up thinking they were going to be up in arms about the fact that the last ticket given out was in 2021 and it was one ticket in november um but yeah they've since shifted 
yeah. they're thinking. I mean, there's certainly a story of like, if you set aside whether you want to lobby for increased police presence or not, set, set that to the side for a second. There's a story about, in, you know, a, a basic geographic injustice here in that they passed a law that said it's illegal to drive here. These professional drivers continue to drive through there. Mm-hmm. And despite years of urging, they can't get STPD to enforce a law that is on the books for various reasons. But like how how likely do we think that would be repeated in, in La Jolla? Yeah. How likely, you know, that the city council votes, passes a resolution that that then doesn't go anywhere that you then set pass have another resolution if to there say, was like, trucks going through la jolla and there was a rule against it and it wasn't being enforced <laughs> come on yeah no, there, there yeah. is there's a there's a couple blocks i i haven't followed up on it maybe i should but there's a couple blocks and they have those same signs that barry logan has yeah mm-hmm. mm, yeah so all right check out her story at voice san diego.org andrea's on it again good job We're going to take a quick break on the other side. San Diego's dying. Stay with us. Ever since I moved here, there's been one kind of assumed fact underneath San Diego's discussion about the future of San Diego, Uh, everything from housing to the infrastructure we need, transit, Mm -hmm. uh, climate, all these things have in large part, and the airport too, have large part been fueled by one major assumption, and that is that San Diego is going to grow and that more people are coming here and we're coming here and will be coming here and more people are going to have babies here and those people will grow up and become humans that need places to live and work and stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. So that is no longer the case. I think there was uh, sort of two things that emerged recently from the new census data. One is that San Diego has been losing the population and you can attribute that to people moving. Yes. There's uh, three consecutive years of San Diego getting smaller year over year. And the driving force of that in each of the last three years was more people moving away than moving here. Yeah. Uh, Domestic migration. Okay. That is one thing. People have talked about that in some ways. But then you observed something even deeper, which was kind of unsettling, I think, which is that, yes, that might be the case. But also, a lot of the discussion has been built around the idea that fundamental to the growth of San Diego was that we were having kids that would stay here and grow up here. And that that, the replacement rate of people who die versus people who are born is actually starting to flip. And it's still a little more positive to births to death, but it's starting to flip, and it'll flip soon. There was a very pat argument that took place time after time in comment sections or in social media or in uh, you know morning uh, breakfast uh, debates or whatever about the nature of population growth and what our responsibility was to accommodate for it. And... That usually went such that somebody who didn't want to accommodate that growth said, well, why do I have a moral obligation to provide a place for somebody to move from Arizona to here? Why are we obligated to 
make it easier or more welcoming or cheaper for somebody who doesn't live here to decide to move here? Why, why is that my responsibility? Now, you could debate whether they are right-minded or not, but instead, the typical response was, well, that's not actually what's driving population growth primarily. What's driving population growth primarily is that we keep having kids. Mm-hmm. We keep having kids and we keep wanting to live longer. Mm-hmm. And so there was this uh, net natural population growth mm-hmm. that we were having more children who were staying here and growing up than we were faster than we were dying. Yeah. And that was always the, the go to when somebody would say, like, well, just keep people out. Yeah. We don't, like, well, that's they, not the- they should stay in Iowa. Yeah. And, and you'd say, well, that's fine, but people here are procreating yeah. and that creates people. Yes. We need to live here. Right. Wait, where are you from, Scott? I'm from Salt Lake City. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what? Keep, keep the Scots out of here. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like the uh, Utah, famously, by the way, has a very high birth rate compared to its <laughs> <laughs> Right. Um, but so that basic argument that, that we have witnessed for years is getting less true every single year. And based on the State Department of Finance, which is provides the forecasts that that inform civic decision making, regional decision making, um, it will stop being true in about 2035. That right now, our current trajectory. So we had about 25,000 uh, a, a natural population growth resulted in a 25,000 person increase in this region. More people were born. Than died. 25,000 more people were born than died back in uh, 2011. Right now, in last year, we're we're looking at just 15,000. It's getting smaller and smaller. That carries all the way and crosses zero in 2035. And then over the next 35 years, the forecasts are that we will get smaller and smaller every year, by which we mean to say, more people will die than are born here every year in the you know in the out years past 2035 okay now that that is people have asked me like why i consider that so significant like that is a a a fundamental decision about like whether this is a thriving region can in some ways be boiled down to whether we are a growing region Mm -hmm. that whether this is a good place to start a family whether this is a good place to make a career whether this is a good place to be gainfully employed to start a business um whether there's a good place to provide for people's basic needs you could you can't you could do much worse than to distilling that down to are people do people want to have kids here do people want to make a family here? Do people want to stay here during their child rearing years, uh, which is what would drive these sorts of trends? Or do we become a place that's more like Santa Barbara, where it's it's very nice, it's very expensive, people who can afford it stay there, they live out their years here. It's sort of a very nice retirement community. So let's let's go deeper into this. This is yeah. truly fascinating. So one of there's there's kind of two different parts of this. One is what you're just talking mm-hmm. about, which is this concept of San Diego as it sees itself. Yeah. And we have seen ourselves since I've been here as a growing place, a place that you want to move your business or start your business, uh, a place that you want to 
um, grow a family, that so many people want to come here. And this just just what it means for us and for all of the economic development corporations and the Chamber of Commerce and the universities and all the sports unions and, and everybody yes, that yes. talks about sure. San Diego and its future to grapple with the idea that it is not that place anymore. Yeah. That's what you just articulated. I think that's a really powerful thing. Yeah. The other part, though, is the implication that this has on all of these economic and policy discussions that we're having right. about transit, about housing, and about uh, the, the, the way the community will be right. and what we need to do to support it. And so let's start with that first one, though. Like, you can say, like, I, I, I actually told my friends about this the other day, and I was like, this, this is turning into Santa Barbara. I use that point. And they're yeah. like, great. <laughs> yeah, sure. And a lot of people w w would respond to that by saying, like, that seems fine to me. And I, I'm not here to tell you how you should feel. If, 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 if you're content with that, so be it. But it, it does require a changed narrative about us. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Acknowledge then yeah, yeah, yeah. that that is the case, that you should not yeah. build your business here. <laughs> right. That you should not move your business here. Right. That you should not... We should not uh, attract scientists here. We that right. you need to change the mm -hmm. entire uh, growth paradigm that has been built up around here. You know that, that story I did a few months ago about the Midway edition and the huge the future or the the past mm -hmm. yeah. of San Diego, the geranium versus smokestack discussion. Right, yeah. the the geraniums being we want San Diego to be the way it is with nice gardens and houses and and leave it alone, don't grow. And the other one being we want to build wealth, we want to build industry, we want to build jobs. And they all just decided that they would both win for a while. Yeah. But what we're learning here is this is you you gotta stop the smokestacks. You right. gotta stop that well, side. And the other thing, and maybe this gets into the the second point you were making, is this is the result of decisions that have been made. Yeah. In spite of and and you mentioned this a lot in your your Midwest story, in spite of the story we told about ourselves as a an attractive place for people to start a family, to start a business, um, we didn't always make public policy decisions that complemented that story, or 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 that that fed into that story. Not only that, we made policies that were hostile to it. Right. And so we have not only driven people away, as we mentioned before, San Diego has gotten smaller for the last three years because of domestic migration. So we have driven people away, but we have also made it very expensive to have kids, very expensive to buy enough housing to start a family, very expensive to afford daycare, very expensive to um, to, trans to transport your family around. Um, all of those things have the effect of pushing down birth rates or uh, delaying the age at which people decide to have kids, which feeds into this natural population growth decision. So it's it is it's not just that uh, the story that we tell about ourselves isn't isn't aligned with what these uh, numbers are suggesting we are right now. It's we have not aligned our decision-making with the story we wanted to tell about ourselves. And that is why these numbers are what they are. And we can correct that in any number of ways that don't involve changing any of our decisions. Maybe the decisions that we've made are the ones that are popular and that people are comfortable with, and they're happy to just abandon that story about San Diego being a thriving, interesting place that's best days are ahead of it. Oh, so be it. That's, that's easier. That's certainly easier than completely reorienting your policy uh, apparatus around 
you know, turning these numbers around. That that's a harder thing to do. Uh, but it's got to be one or the other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, if if we want to be coherent, it has to be one or the other. Yeah. I, and I think people have been saying that for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And they just <laughs> you know, they just never want to make that choice. There's people who will always want to build industry here or or promote it as a place to bring things. And and the community will always, it seems like, say no. I mean, there's just something grim about the idea of a dying of us not accommodating <laughs> our own perpetuation. Yeah. You know, that that it's just a grim idea to be like, we've made it so expensive. We've made it so difficult to live here that your kids have to leave. Your kids have to leave or you have to have kids later or you have to have one kid instead of two kids. Or when you reach your childbearing age, you become one of those people who moves and then you never figure into the the natural population growth dynamic because you've pulled yourself out of that pool of people. You could decide, hey, we're going to have kids. It's time to go to Phoenix. It's time to go to Denver. It's time to go to Houston. It's time to go somewhere we can afford to do that. And it's just, it's it's hostility to ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's the, it's a very... Uh, it's a very depressing reality. It's it's a way to look at the housing crisis in more than its acute effects right now. It's not just how much it costs right now. And it's not just the misery on the streets. It's also just like setting us uh, ourselves down a far less attractive path for 20, 30 years from now. Well, and, and there's also some practical economic and political mm-hmm. consequences, which is one that if if this place has stopped growing, that means a lower tax base. Yeah. It mm-hmm. means less investment in infrastructure. Mm-hmm. It means the problems that you see in the community don't be addressed because we have to admit that a city is built in a way in kind of a Ponzi scheme, right? It mm-hmm. has to grow to deliver any benefits to the people who are here. It can't it can't add uh, backfill investment mm-hmm. if it's not adding enterprise and growth. Yeah, and and to one thing here is that the climate implications yeah. that while well, this may make it easier to reach some sort of uh you know diminished carbon footprint. However, keep in mind these people who move don't disappear from the world that emits <laughs> greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. They just go do it somewhere else. Now, that might be great for the accounting standards of Sandag that only has to deal with what happens within yeah. its boundaries. But in the global sense, which is where global warming occurs, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether those people live here or Houston. And in fact, it may matter quite a bit if the per capita carbon footprint is higher in the place that they relocate to than it would be if they were to stay here. Yeah. There's, there's. Let's tie something else um, in. You did a piece last week for the Politics Report. I wasn't here. Appreciate you carrying the load. Thank you. It's yeah for for a change. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't do much. You're right. So, uh, in that though, you talked about a survey that was put out about um, the things that people are most worried about in San Diego, Mm -hmm. and it hasn't changed much except that it's gotten more intense. Yeah. And the things, the top issue was homelessness, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the second issue was housing. And housing the, affordability. Right. And the third was there there basically is no third at this point. In I mean that that was my takeaway is that 
there has been a complete deterioration of any concern outside of those two. So it's like 60% of people uh, said that their top concern was either housing or homelessness. 60%. No other issue, not any single issue, crosses 5%. Basically, every other issue that you could potentially be concerned about, crime or uh, uh, you know the, the economy, uh, you know jo- joblessness or whatever. All of those things don't across five percent. Yeah, that was shared um, with us by Ryan Klumpner. He said uh, he, want, he just wanted to make sure that we we acknowledge where we got that. Mm-hmm. He's a political consultant. So the um, I think that one thing I always want to say with that is like we act like those two things are different <laughs> housing and homelessness like right. well, that's why i put them together <laughs> they're, just, they're very i mean it's a there is a uh, housing is a ladder and the bottom of it is homelessness yeah mm-hmm. and i i but it is it is quite apparent to me that people intensely want those to be separate issues yes that homelessness is in their mind a, a almost disease or a, or something something separate wrong with those people I understand. You take a look at that; it's grim. You don't want to think of yourself as as a party to it. Yeah, or or above the ladder to them. Yeah, of mm-hmm. course. And and yet, like they're so intertwined. And I gotta say, when you talk about this dark feeling in this community, I feel like there are two things coursing through this community. There is something people are on edge in a way that is just different than before. There's a there's a tension and an anger and a hostility and a and a, a a, a, a lack of um, patience with each other, and and then homelessness is driving every conversation yes. that I see yeah. everywhere, yeah. and it's and it's this like it is a daily experience of I gotta say violence to see what's happening in our community, and so all of that wrapped up is making this community a place that people don't want to be. Mm-hmm. And and whether or can't be, and we need to address that. I think head on. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in San Diego's sort of near adjacent Little Italy community but not Little Italy. Keep up with all of our stories with The Morning Report, our most popular newsletter and product. Sign up on our homepage, vosd.org or voiceofsandiego.org. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice of San Diego. Andrew Keats is our Managing Editor. Andrea Lopez Villafaña is also Managing Editor. Nate John is our producer. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.